May is Fibromyalgia Awareness Month. It's important to raise awareness about this chronic and often debilitating invisible illness known as fibromyalgia. This month-long campaign is an opportunity to educate people about the symptoms, causes, and treatments of fibromyalgia, as well as to show support for those living with these and other related invisible illnesses. Through increased awareness, we can work towards better understanding and management of fibromyalgia and ultimately improve the quality of life for those who are affected by it. And now on to this week's episode. This is the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. I am your host, Dr. Michael Lenz. I am also author of the book, Conquering Your Fibromyalgia, Real Answers and Real Solutions for Real Pain. I've been a physician for over 26 years. I am board certified in pediatrics and in internal medicine and a diplomat of the boards of clinical lipidology and lifestyle medicine. My goals are to inform, inspire, and equip those living with fibromyalgia to help reduce the suffering and in some cases even reverse it to the levels of those who are unaffected. I work to weave the best of both lifestyle medicine with medical management using a multifaceted approach. While I am a doctor, I am not your doctor. All signs and symptoms should be discussed with your own medical provider. This podcast is for educational purposes only. And now on to this week's episode. Due to societal costs, you know, absolutely. And, and, you know, when I treated this girl and she was better, all of a sudden the need for the fancy MRIs and this test and that test and, you know, stuff, you know, it went away from a societal point of view. If you just want to look at the money part of it, it would be extremely important to make these connections because migraines and ADHD both cause billions of dollars. I mean, I I don't even know how these economists count it, but the migraines themselves are felt to be about a $13 billion problem between medical care, productivity loss, workup for headaches, you know, it's free to consider ADHD. Just just think about it and see if you want to go down that path. You might not. Not everyone with migraines has ADHD, but it might be a good idea to think about it as you're thinking about other causes for headaches. Because, you know, a lot of the medicine for headaches won't work if the ADHD is constantly triggering it off. I asked Dr. Shayette what her experience was in using stimulant medication in those who had both ADHD and migraine headaches. Yeah, I I think that, you know, even if the ADHD were perfectly treated, some people will still have migraines. You know, I don't really think of it as a cure for migraines in that it's not I mean, you, the, the person may still be prone to migraines here. There, all I'm saying is that the ADHD, if you treat it, it could make the headaches not such a big problem, like an occasional problem instead of a frequent problem. And you're also helping somebody's life tremendously because people's lives are tremendously better if they can control their attention better. And so I've had 
people come to me because nothing else worked for their headaches. And I'm talking every medication that there's out there and biofeedback and acupuncture and whatever. And, you know, the ADHD is such a big part of people's lives that unless you treat that, nothing else helps the headaches. The older you get, life gets more complicated, more responsibilities. There's more to do. And if you have an ADHD brain, it takes longer to do that. So as life gets more complicated, the long way to do something isn't always possible. And then the healthy things that lower the sensitivity of the brain, kind of think of that hot air balloon, Uh like regular exercise, taking time to make good exercise, having fun social connections, aren't able to be attained because of other things that get in the way because they are staying at work late. They're, they're studying longer. So they have not enough time to go to the gym and all of these interact and then the stress with relationships and they're always on edge. Often insomnia is worse as you've made a connection earlier between ADHD. They can't turn their brain off. They're worried about a test they know they're not prepared for and they hope that they'll do okay. Yes. Yes, it, it's, it's, you know, it affects so many aspects of your life. And the procrastination part of it is just horrendous when you have a lot of things to do that it's, it's, it causes stress. And don't forget, stress is a physical thing that affects your brain. Stress causes your adrenal glands to pump out hormones, and those hormones go to different parts of your brain and they change your brain so that. You know, if you have a brain that's used to chronic stress, the part of your brain is pumping out different proteins. Even if the stress is gone, you still have that changed brain. You know, (laughs) it takes a while to change back. So I think that the effects of the ADHD on when people are asking about stress they're really also asking about ADHD, hopefully, because they go hand in hand a lot of the times. Dr. Shayette made a very important point. If you are going through a lot of stress, or if you're a physician and your patient is going through a lot of stress and experiencing a lot of distress from that experience, you should at least consider there may be ADHD playing a role you start to ask the right questions, you'll be amazed at how common this is. Dr. Dodson said, if you're you're not seeing at least three people a day in your practice on the ADHD spectrum, you're probably missing it. And physicians go, oh, I don't see anybody with ADHD and migraines. I'm like, I I did a talk to the family practice residency program a few years ago. And the question I just started with was, how many of you treat adults with ADHD? And I knew nobody would raise their hand. And this was Uh probably eight years ago. Uh But I said, no, you all treat people with ADHD. What about that patient you've tried on five different SSRIs? And they actually keep telling you they're not depressed. They're just more anxious. But you ignore that clear clue because many Uh with people with ADHD will say, no, I'm not depressed. I'm really frustrated. Yeah. And don't take that to me. I'm just depressed because that's the same when the fiber world, if you can just help me have less frequent headaches and less frequent migraines and less frequent overall pain and brain fog and fatigue. The My interpretation of looking at the connection with fibromyalgia, which is pain and 
fatigue, but also brain fog is that the body, the brain has to work so much harder. It's like little two cylinder car going up the mountain <laughs> and the diesel eight cylinder normal eight non ADHD brain doesn't have to work as hard. So it's constantly having to work so much harder. Right. And that internally keeps that body on edge on alarm and anything that tips it off into the wrong direction. So again, hopefully that those listening are going to reconsider some of their assumptions and start to ask those important questions and taking that dive. I was talking to a psychiatrist that I just had medical uh, school reunion with who uh-huh. treats adults with ADHD. And I was just chatting about some of these things and they'll say, well, we never had training on this. And she's like, none of our doctors had training on COVID. We had to learn it on the fly. Yeah. And these are things where you have to take that brave first step and ask that question. And well, tell me about school. What type of learner are you? Oh, you're much more hands-on visual. You get bored in class when there's lectures. You have a hard time when you're reading textbooks and you have to reread things and you get overwhelmed easily. And when you're doing those more challenging classes and you're staying up later because, and you don't even know, and your mom says, well, just go ask the teacher for help. And you're like, I don't even know where to start because there's so many different things I don't understand. And I feel stupid. And they just start talking and it's Charlie Brown. <laughs> and, and so they end up getting into this. I, a sister of mine, who's not a, a psychiatrist or psychologist, but she's a very deep thinker about things. And she said, one of two things happens to these kids. They either develop a callus or they get anxiety. And the callus is, that's okay. I'm just not an A student. It's okay. Yeah. I'm not going to be a doctor someday. It's okay. I'm, I might not go to college. And that's okay. Or they developed a tremendous amount of anxiety because I know I'm not stupid. And I know I can get an A, but I have to spend three or four times longer on that assignment. And then that creates this constant stress. And you know, there's a connection with eating disorders and ADHD. Mm-hmm because there's that perfectionist that they're trying to achieve and that internal anxiety compounded by societal uh, uh, expectations too. And yet, if you treat the ADHD, that puts them on par, just like giving somebody a pair of glasses. I'm sure you've used that analogy. Giving a pair of glasses doesn't mean somebody can see the baseball and hit home runs, but at least they can see the baseball and they can implement healthy lifestyles. People who don't have ADHD, who don't study at all for exams and read the textbook and go to class, don't get good grades either. You still have to learn healthy. It becomes a cycle, right? So if you go in there believing that you're not good at whatever, because you didn't do well the last time, then you're less likely to focus And you have, therefore, a higher chance of not doing well the next go around. So you wind up in a negative feedback cycle a lot of the time. One of the reasons to, you know, who cares if you're focused, guys? Well, here's why you should care is because once you have the focus, you can do things better. And it's not the things, but how does it make you feel when you do things better? It makes you feel good. It makes you feel smart. And then you behave like a smart person who's confident. If you screw something up, you don't give up. You figure out a way to do it right the next time. You feel good about focusing and you're more likely to focus. So it really 
is a matter of taking somebody from a negative feedback cycle and trying to figure out a way where they get positive feedback. Unfortunately, you know, it's not just a matter of training, but most doctors, especially primary care doctors, don't have enough time to ask. So if you're a patient and you are going, you know, and if, if you ask, you, you know, you might have an hour's more that you're behind schedule because if you ask something you got to listen to the answer and so you know what I would say is that if you're a patient listening you probably want to bring this up in some sort of succinct way you need to know that you mean they you know maybe your doctor's having an off day maybe they're tired maybe they're stressed maybe they're busy themselves and please you know send up a little red flag for the doctor to at least follow up on a question and don't wait to be asked, bring it up. I echo that. And what ends up happening is for most people don't have physicians like you and I, humbly speaking, who know that this is important in so many different aspects that we've mentioned. So if you're listening to this and you start to recognize that does make sense, you have to be an advocate for yourself because you almost have to lay out your history and the groundwork, whether you're an adult with this looking back, if your child has this being dismissed, I've heard stories of people saying, well, you're getting A's, so you can't have ADHD. So my last doctor said, well, you're doing well in school, so you can't have ADHD. And so part of this is having that increased education and awareness, which you and I are trying to do and and build and hopefully recognize that in importance, but the parents listening have to then be an advocate for that. And what's interesting is if the parents are listening of a child who's going through this, if Sally's parents are listening, the lights are going to go on. And one of them is going to say, oh my goodness, that's me. Yes. And then (laughs) the other one or the other one's going to say, oh my goodness, that's dad. That's that's your aunt. Right. It's like that. And then it ends up being, wow, our household is much more calmer because it turned out and as in my practice, it's not uncommon where I'm treating three generations. Yeah, I have what's not uncommon. Because I'll see the mom. So they get diagnosed for the first time and they have young children. And now being aware, a recent family that I see where take care of the whole family, dad had IBS went on a plant-based diet that got better. Mom saw me because of that switch and had improvement, but had increased stress. Turned out she had ADHD. They now have a three and a half year old and she's been a self-advocate and just absorbed the information and has gone through the grieving process of a late diagnosis in life and the, well, what if I would have gotten earlier, but now she's looking at the stress she has as a untreated ADHD three and a half year old, which she said to me, Oh, I'm 99.99%. She has ADHD. She's exactly how I was. And we don't normally treat and look at it until age four. When we treat the child, you're going to get better. And it's not uncommon where I might be seeing grandma and grandma has obesity, uncontrolled diabetes, and in binge eating and pulsivity. And and you start to often end up seeing the, the connection because of such an autosomal inheritance with that. And it can have a ricochet effect on so many different aspects Unfortunately, that does get me behind sometimes. I had a patient today who just seen the connections where came in for a fullness in his throat, which turned out to be acid reflux, a bolus sensation. Ugh. Asking a question about the usual things, 
he has drinking a pot of coffee, 12, eight uh-huh. ounce cups a day. Well, if you don't know that high caffeine consumption is a marker of ADHD, you wouldn't just ask the next question, which I preface. I'm like, well, there is a connection between real high caffeine consumption as a marker of somebody having ADHD because it's a compensation for all of the other things. They had a two and a four year old at home and life gets busy traveling, et cetera. And he smiled when I said, well, there might be a connection with ADHD. And I just broached it because it's a very sensitive topic. You know, ADHD, uh-huh. not everybody receives it with open, open arms. A lot of people are defensive. Part of that is that misunderstanding is the naughty kid who got in trouble. And he smiled. <laughs> and this is a, with a mask on. I could tell he smiled like, well, right. what's up? We're pretty much convinced our four-year-old has <laughs> ADHD. And he's just like me. And I'm not their doctor yet of the, the kids, but I look back and that was just like me. And the mom is a teacher and who's this. And they said, well, they want to wait until six until they treat it. Treatment of ADHD and diagnosis is on an individual case basis. If a young child is having a lot of struggles, delaying may just cause extended frustration with a strong family history of both father and with symptoms in the child. I tend to gravitate towards earlier identification and implementation of treatment. Stay with us. We'll be right back. I want to briefly interrupt the podcast to inform you about the Fibromyalgia Starter Pack, which is now available. If you are new to this podcast, it categorizes the episodes in a way that is more beneficial for those new to fibromyalgia. You can access the link in the show notes to learn more. So it just started with at that knowing that circumstantial evidence. I say I'm like a medical uh-huh. executive. Knowing there may be an increased risk doesn't mean everybody who drinks <laughs> cups of coffee has ADHD, but yeah. the higher risk doesn't mean everybody who has ten migraines a month has ADHD. But it's a lot more likely than those who have one migraine every three months. And I know from my clinical experience, often you can help reduce that frequency of 10 a month to maybe uh-huh. one every couple months, especially if they're now incorporating a healthier diet. They're <laughs> recognizing the good sleep hygiene. And usually the trigger usually is I was on Christmas break and yeah. hanging out with friends and we stayed up a little bit later and I didn't eat the best food. And uh-huh. and I took sumatriptan and it worked well. And, yeah. and I responded and it wasn't this shocking thing. And that some people get. I remember years ago, my son was shooting hoops after staying up later on a Saturday night and got uh-huh. up to go to church and we were shooting hoops and he had the, uh, he, he was kind of tired, but he started saying, dad, the basketball hoop looks like weird and it's all blurry. Uh. <laughs> oh, yeah. I was having, I'm starting migraine. I'm like, all right, we're done. Yeah. 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 <laughs> we're going to go get some Motrin. Go to bed early and seeing that connection. No, you may get those sometimes, but at least it's understandable. A lot of times if you don't, if you're just told, oh, you got to relax more, you just have to um, be more calm. You have to do more meditation. Yeah, no, that would be frustrating. Extremely frustrating. I asked Dr. Shayette to share some last thoughts with us about migraines and ADHD. Yeah, just, you know, what I was thinking when you were telling me that last story is, 
when you realize, hey, this is something biological, my kid is like me, it really does take away some of the blame part of it. You know, you stop thinking of them as a bad kid. You start thinking of them as, oh, I turned out okay. And, you know, the parents also feel guilty, like they're doing things wrong if their kids aren't having a perfect life. And so, you know, kind of understanding that there are some things that happen that are not anyone's fault and not under your control 100%. So we can all do without the shame and the guilt types of feelings. They, they just don't help. So, you know, just understanding that there is biology. All these different things are happening within the context of one person. And one thing obviously will affect the other. And I would say, you know, basic habits are like three legs of a stool. You know, if you don't have sleeping right, eating reasonably, you don't have to be like a, you know, eating vegan poster child or anything, but eat enough so you're not hungry a lot, sleep well, and get plenty of exercise. And those three legs of the stool will help keep you going a lot of times. Yeah, 100%. And all of those interact in medicine you know, lifestyle coaching and talking about that takes time as well. But I think the ones who put it together, as I've shared, like Teresa's story on an earlier podcast and do this all the time with my patients who can put it together and all the combination, their life is completely changed. And then when I do take care of a parent who has been struggling, they don't say, you know, we'll just wait until uh, they're 35 and let them know the secret is out. (laughs) They this whole life have had that because me and mom didn't agree on the fact that ADHD was a real thing. So I was promised her I'd keep it quiet and and she never agreed that I had it and Uh never is helpful to recognize, oh, there is this connection, which I, I often say this is bittersweet when I see an adult who gets treated and often there's that connection because I see the kid and the, Uh and the parent is that there's that delayed diagnosis is what if, what if I gotten identified earlier? And that's where, when you look at getting to see the life continuum of from, from infancy, where it might be a baby who has colic to great to people in their nineties and that whole continuum. I had an 89 year old patient today and pretty sure he probably has ADHD Uh with early dementia. And it came up with talking about some of these, well, he's always been really sensitive and he's always had a hard time with focus and remembering. And he always had some restless leg symptoms as well that goes back for a long time. Uh-huh. Connection yeah. with ADHD. And then it turns out they have they had four kids. And, and I said, any mental health kind of anxiety? Well, yeah, the one brother has had big problems. And then we started talking more and the daughter who was in at the visit said, oh, now that you're describing ADHD, I think I have it. Uh-huh. You know what? My son dropped out of college. And then he went to the military. Yeah. Oh my goodness. That totally describes him. So what happens to him when he gets out of the structured military, it has a GI bill that can, you know, go to Stanford university with, or high or whatever, all these stuff. And he says, nah, I don't think I'm going to use that. <laughs> I don't want to yeah. sure. And your mom's like, why wouldn't you want to, you have this all paid for, you know, you, you put your time into the money. And yet if they do recognize that the the dominoes start to click. And I bet you there are many people listening to the podcast right now who are the bittersweet part of this is the sweet part is recognition. The bitter Uh part is, oh my goodness, I've been to so many different doctors. 
nobody yeah. has ever brought this up before. And these might be elite academic universities uh, sure. that people are going to and well-meaning doctors, and they just never connected that. And they're upping the dose of the topiramate, uh, trying amitriptyline at higher doses and trying propanolol and all of these higher doses, which potentially isn't helping, potentially giving right. more effects and offering or uh, giving leading to more distrust. And then sometimes yeah. by the doctor that uh, blaming the patient. Yeah. And also the patient feeling like they're being attacked or blamed because they must be doing something wrong. You are a non-compliant patient, which is, I wonder, you know, doing a study on what percent of non-compliant patients actually have ADHD. I know from experience, it's often like, hey, before we blame the patient, maybe there's something just like before we blame the student for struggling academically. Maybe there's this other (laughs) major component that we need to investigate. And that's where, again, list people. Oh, revolutionary ideas on this podcast, Michael. I mean, you heard it here first. It's a good idea. (laughs) Well, yeah. And and I think a lot of these things are Steve Jobs and Bill Gates have this personal computer. Everything that they put together by itself isn't that revolutionary. Mm -hmm. But when you connect them together, it was revolutionary. And, Absolutely. And, and, and what we're talking about here is all evidence-based information on its own. We have strong evidence the impact of treatment of ADHD can have on life. We know the impact of lifestyle can have on our health, but trying to bring them together. And I think what ends up having to happen is that primary care doctors, pediatricians, internists, internal medicine, pediatric trained doctors need to step up and take that step and your patients are going to be so much better for it. The list can go on of these comorbidities that are affected by that. And for those of you who would like to read more from Dr. Sarah Shayette, she has four books out and they are all available online. You can go to her website with links to the books talking about that. That's on sarahshayette.com. I'll have a link in the show notes talking about ADHD and me, ADHD and the focused mind, a guide to giving your child focus, discipline and self-confidence, winning with ADHD and mommy, my head hurts, a doctor's guide to your child's headache. So awesome that you are putting those books out there. And thank you so much for joining us on this podcast. And if there's any questions that you have for this podcast, we'd love to get your feedback. And if you can share this with others out there who are struggling, odds are if you don't have somebody with fibro or fibromyalgia related problem like ADHD, their odds are you know somebody and they need to hear this message. Thank you, Michael, for having me on the podcast. It's been fun having this conversation. All right, we can do it again. Thank you. Take care. It truly was a pleasure to have Dr. Shea join us on the Conquering Your Fibromyalgia podcast. Until next week, go Team Fibro.